This episode of the Fabulous Learning Nerds is sponsored by MyFlex Learning. MyFlex Learning is a scheduling platform that helps middle and high schools meet the individual needs of all students. Schools can easily create and manage time for flex blocks, win time, activity periods, RTIs, counselor, and teacher appointments, and much more. And with its built-in accountability tool and reporting features, MyFlex Learning solves your challenges around getting kids where they need to be and understanding how flex time is spent. Make your flex time work for you. Visit myflexlearning.com slash B to learn more and receive $500 off the first year. That's myflexlearning.com slash B-E. Let's face it, working with stakeholders and subject matter experts is a critical component to successful instructional design. Taking a learning program from conception to completion, on time, under budget, and with the time to review the process for learnings? Yeah, that's a challenge. Luckily, the nerds have someone who can help us out. Friend of the show, Emily May, works with businesses and organizations to design and develop engaging learning experiences at scale, with an emphasis on consistency and efficiency. And today, she shares her learnings on successful project management for instructional design. There's a ton of great information in here that you won't want to miss. Let's get started. They are the fabulous learning nerds. Because if you're tired of the old ways of getting it done, you've got the fabulous learning nerds. Scott, Dan, and Abby are making it fun. The best ideas that you've ever heard. So everybody spread the word. They're going to keep you with turning the fabulous learning nerds. Fabulous learning nerds. Oh, yeah. Hey, everybody, welcome back to another episode of Your Fabulous Learning Nerds. I'm Scott Chu, your host. But you really don't care about me. The person that you care about way more is here, Dan Coonrod. Dan the man. Oh, yeah. Danielle. That's an immense amount of pressure, and I'm not sure I'm okay with that. <laughs> Hopefully, you're here to listen to our guest and not me. Just saying. Just I think saying. they're here to listen to you, like- Dan. We... No, I'll I think need more Dan Coonrod. selling it. I totally know we need Dan, Dan Coonrod. I, I do. How are you doing, sir? Wildly uncomfortable now. How are you, Scott? <laughs> <laughs> Two weeks in a row. Fair to Midland. <laughs> you can't hit me with everybody's here to listen to me and then ask me how I'm doing. Come on, man. <laughs> it is true. I'm, I'm going to find out if, it, if oh. it really is true. Like, if you're not here to listen to Daniel, you're here to listen to Abby. Come on, Abby, admit it. Well, I mean, I hope they're here to listen to me. I mean, what else are they doing? That is right. <laughs> Absolutely. We're here to listen to <gasps> Abby. That's right. Oh, my gosh. Whew. I'll tell you. This week especially, I'm I'm here for our guest because I'm so excited about this week's talk. I'm super excited. We've been spending a lot of time um, uh, in the um, headspace of leadership, which I could talk about all the time. But it's great to get back to the basics of why we got things started. And we have friend of the show, Miss Emily May, back with us again. Oh, hell yeah. That's right. <laughs> Emily is back. And we're super excited. How are you doing, Emily? I'm doing good. Thank you so much for having me. (sighs) 
Look, our audience is happy about it as well, so that's fantastic. Um, and and how are things? It's been it's been a while. So how are things with you? Things are good. Yeah, I've been uh, really busy, but busy is good, and um, you know, just really grateful and thankful for the abundance of work that's been coming my way, and I've been getting to work on a lot of really cool projects and with some different clients, and so yeah, things are great. Oh yeah, we'll get into how to get in touch with Emily, but I love that when somebody says I need help, I can recommend Emily and they're going to get the awesome that Emily has. It's so great. And then they come back to me later, which is so fantastic. Like, oh my gosh, I got such great work from Emily. I'm like, yeah, I told you. I told you that that would be the case. So that's great. Um, But we're not going to go ahead and gush all over everybody but me today. We're going to go ahead and talk about uh, something really important that you're all going to learn from. So let's dive into our topic of the week, shall we? Oh my God, I love this topic. Project management for instructional design. It's so critical for our overall success and something that we all need to get really, really good at um, if you want to play in the space. And Emily is an expert in that. And so I'm going to turn it over to you, Emily. Like, Talk to us a little bit about project management and instructional design and how they're different. And yeah, how do they work together? Yeah, so I guess just a little bit of some context on the topic. Um, uh, Project management has been in my life since I started my career, um, but I'm also just a very organized person and project manage my life with most things. Um, But over the last year, I have just been really noticing that project management has just been like taking over my whole entire life. Um, I've been, you know, do it as part of my day job as an instructional design consultant and developer. Um, but I've also been working on project management projects. So what I mean by that, um, I've been working on the redevelopment for the project management certification program with UCI's Division of Continuing Education. So a complete overhaul to realign with the um, new PMBOK Guide 7 that was uh, released in March, this past March, and it's like completely different. So we can definitely dig into that a little bit. Um, But I also was working with a client earlier this year on doing some um, onboarding stuff and we were uncovering um, project management software. So I was kind of helping them um, vet and solve for uh, the right project management tool for their organization. And I have a bunch of people in my network that recently went through certification programs and took or studying to take the PMP. And um, I had the opportunity to work with another client earlier this year, developing a 10 week graduate level course on instructional design and project management. And so all of this project management really got me thinking about sort of my past relationship with project management. I started out as a project manager in pharmaceutical advertising. I went through the PMP prep course. I took the exam about a decade ago and, um, you know, I started like kind of thinking about my experience and how everything is changing today and started noticing a couple of things. Um, and I think the first Thing is really just this big massive shift that's happening with the project management field as a whole, not necessarily related to instructional design, but um, just in general. 
And so like when I took the PMP uh, exam, it was definitely more, uh, I don't even know if like agile was like truly a thing quite yet. Um, it was very traditional, large, large scale linear projects, um, you know, think aerospace, construction, engineering. And I had a really hard time at that point in my life, like making that connection, like how does this fit into the journal ad that I'm pushing around in my agency? Like it wasn't, it wasn't a whole, like I had, I struggled with that concept a little bit. Um, and then whenever I was starting to develop the project management for instructional design course, I was uh, doing some research online and just started to see that there wasn't a ton out there on specifically on project management for instructional design, you know, like whether you're going to school um, or taking, you know, a coaching program or something online, there's a lot about theory, a lot about design principles, but not a whole lot about how do you get your project done? How do you work with your team? How do you motivate teams? I mean, you could be working on multiple projects at once, different teams. A lot of times as instructional designers, we work with people um, that are like super busy and don't necessarily even understand understand why they're working with us, right? So there are all of these um, things I think that it's really important for instructional designers today to start really paying attention to and um, kind of beyond that with the way PMI, the Project Management Institute, is shifting from more process-based to principle-based. Um, I think that we're going to definitely start seeing just in it rolls across the board, like project management being a super... Um, important skill to have. Um, and, you know, specific, specifically in our field, I think it's important for instructional designers to start paying attention to. So yeah, so how they're different, how they're the same. Um, well, I wanted to just quickly pull you all. I know you all have managed teams and have hired people. And I'm just curious, you know, from, you know, when you're interviewing um, people for learning roles, um, like on a scale of one to 10, like how important do you feel um, project management is in an instructional designer e-learning developer role? Is, is 11? <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll tell you where I learned I cared about it a lot was um, someone who doesn't have a process probably doesn't understand their role. Um, so they're, they're very good task people, but if you need them to, um, make decisions or work with anybody else, a lack of like a process is pretty indicative that maybe they're not ready for that yet. I, I will say that for the most part, my experience has been, that's way not even on the chart of the things that we were looking for. Right. So we talk ID, Oh, can we talk Addy and what does their end product look like? And, the thousands of times that we have been burned by lack of process. And of course, you know, like many corporate organizations, we have a PM team and that's their job to manage process. But if I don't understand the language or if I don't understand my own process, I have found that those people are overworked, undermanaged, and everything just falls apart. So part of the things that I think are really critical, I'm glad you brought up PMP and I have a question for you on that too. But you know, we you have to be able to speak the same language and have an understanding of what the objectives are, when the deliverables are due, what are the things that are going to be uh, causing roadblocks. Like if I don't have that at the start of what I'm doing, I can't answer the critical question of um, bandwidth and availability and, and my competency to create something that's awesome, 
right? So without that, I'm always going to say yes, and then I'm going to deliver poor results. So I'm going to overpromise and underdeliver, and I hate that. That's just something that I, I hate, but it's something I live with. So, yeah, does that answer your question, Emily? It does. Thank well, you. Dan hasn't chimed in, Scott. No, he did. Dan's- I, I, all, all I was going to say is is eleven an option on a scale of one to ten. Uh, as I, I'll fully admit, as somebody who like has always been super mystified by like the project management like role and world and universe. Uh, every team I have run and managed, I have always tried to make sure I have somebody who has that skill and strength because without it, I mean, like it just, it makes everything run better. I, mean, <laughs> I don't know how else to say it. <laughs> Absolutely. And I think, kind of going back to, you know, your first question on how they're different and how they're the same or how they work together. You know, I think there's like an overlap a little bit, you know, you look at instructional design, there is a process. We could look at Addy or Sam or some of these other methodologies. Right. But kind of to your point, Dan, like it doesn't, yes, you can follow this process to know what design phase you're in or what phase you need to be in, but to then be able to take that a step further and manage the process and the people for how that whole thing comes together on time and within budget and all of that fun stuff. Um, you know, you definitely need to have those two skill sets sort of merged together. And I kind of look at it as like, you know, let's just take Addy for, you know, the sake of the sake of ease, I suppose. And, you know, I almost see like project management happening within each of those little phases. It's, you know, it's not a linear process. You need to, you know, you, you're, you're going to be managing each phase almost. So um, I think that there there is definitely a separation. It's a it's a completely different skill set, right? But they do need to work together in order to, you know, not not a, to avoid scope scope creep and um, you know get make make everybody happy. And it's an enjoyable process because you know when you do start going all over the place and lose control and become reactive and you know you're in over your head. It's no fun for anyone. Yeah. You know. I love this. One of the things you mentioned is you recently took your PMP and how was that experience? And then how beneficial has it been for you? Because I thought about it, but I chose not to. I took it in 2011. Um, from what I understand, uh, talking to people that have taken it today, it is very different. And with uh, Pimbok changing um, I actually was having a conversation with a friend yesterday that after October, I think it's, they're like completely changing it again. Um, I found it to be, I thought it was really hard. Um, and it did, it seemed very irrelevant for me personally with what I was doing. Um, I don't know if some, for somebody that, you know, unless you're really like a, a project management professional. I mean, it, it, it's credit, you know, like you have the, you have the letters on the end of your name, you might get a salary boost. Um, I think certain industries probably prefer it over others, but I don't know if it's necessarily like that important for like us to have those letters behind our, our name. So and for in full, full transparency, I didn't pass my exam, but <laughs> <laughs> I am, I am fascinated to hear. I have, I've heard so many people say like, I need to get PMP certified so that I'm PMP certified. I'm like, I don't know if that's a good, a good reason. <laughs> so uh, taking your experience from that and, and to where you are now, 
what's the difference in, and what made you continue to pursue um, more education in it? Yeah, so um, I think it's just kind of always been a, a part of my my job and my my role. Um, I, project management does sort of come naturally to me, just the way that I think I'm more of a systems thinker and, um, you know, like to have everything put in place. Um, in terms of education, um, so I have sort of been on the other side. I don't know if, like, I, I haven't gone and, and taken more more coursework, um, but I have developed coursework. And so through that, you know, I'm learning and talking to industry experts and um, doing my own research and kind of formulating things in that in that space and like, oh, okay, like, how can I how can I implement this into my work or, oh, I didn't know this. So just so, so that that type of learning um, has been has been valuable. And also just like, learning from mistakes, right? Like I, when I first started uh, my business several, several years ago, I certainly learned, learned hard and learned quick on managing scope. And, um, it's, it's now it's like been a game changer, like asking a ton of questions up front, getting that project plan. I mean, it doesn't have to be like, I think the difference too, like sometimes we get caught up in like all of this, like nomenclature and like, Oh, we need all of these templates and resources and you know I need a project charter and a work breakdown structure and it's like you don't really need that for like if you're creating a 30 second instructional video or something right so I think that there are things I, I like the way that the PMI is going on more principle based so you can kind of adopt these skills and these knowledge areas and cherry pick like what makes sense in your project um, with these like more foundational skills like communication, documentation, managing scope, things like that. Yeah. Can you can you give us like if you had to give a quick definition of the difference between process based and principle based, how would you help folks kind of understand what that means? Sure. So um, I guess the easiest way I could describe it, the older, we'll say Pinbox 6, for example, would go into details on um, you need a communications plan and here are all the things that, um, you know, need to go into the communications plan in order for it to work. Right. And it falls in this this part of the process. And now it's more like you need a communication plan and you need to communicate throughout the whole entire project and you might have to change it, but knowing how to, knowing when and where and being aware of like when you're communicating, when things need to change, um, how you're doing it and sort of, sort of like that, if that answers your question. I'll tell you one of the things I love about project management that I've come to love. And, um, I'd be curious to know your experience and thoughts on it too. Um, I love project management so much. I'm a huge dork about it. I could dork out about it a whole lot, but it really comes out of an experience of I'm when I started in training, we were like very much a service organization to everybody else. And I would have these ideas like, hey, if we did this or we did this, I think we could influence the business in this way and we could add this value. And people were like, that's not really like, how would you even go about like showing that? That's not how it works. Like things come to us and then we do them. We don't bring things. And what I found was once I started like creating a structure that I could go back to the business and explain that why I needed things, they started listening to me as someone who actually understood what was happening and why. And when I could start putting my process in with the business's process and saying, when you guys do this, I need this, like it gave me a voice because it, it, it showed people, oh, she understands what the hell's going on. 
And when I wanted to do things and needed to ask of the business, um, I could speak from a place of like understanding um, how value happens. Does that make sense? So I'm curious what your experience has been with that, running your own company when you when you consult with um, clients. Does that role seem to to translate into what you're doing? Yeah. And I, you know, it's interesting that you say sort of like the service base because I have, you know, as I get more experience and I talk to more clients, you know, prospect meetings and figuring out if it's even a project I want to work on. I think that is one of the biggest things is like, I want to have a say and a voice in like scoping out a project and like, how does this align with your business outcome? Like, I don't want someone to say like, we did all this before we just need someone to execute it. Like that's, that's not where I'm at in my career. And I mean, sure, some people probably would prefer that. But yeah, I want to be able to persuade or persuade decisions. And when there are in kind of, I guess, on the opposite end, when you are knee deep in a project and someone comes to you and says, hey, wouldn't it be cool if we did da 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 I can say, you know, well, how does this align with our original goal? Like we, you know, pull up the project plan, like this is what we decided on, you know, and maybe it does make sense and we need to change things. But um, I, I do like having that control and being on top of it because you're right. You know what's going on. You know what you're getting into. You come from a place you're more proactive with your choices and your decisions and not just just like, well, like, I, like, I don't know what I'm doing. I'm just going to like, keep doing what everyone says. And then you know, <laughs> you ended up getting $10 an hour for your project and you hate every, yep. you hate your life and you're working crazy and it never ends. So, yep. Oh man. Talk to us a little bit about protocols, project management protocols in instructional design. Like where I'm going to have to put some things together where do I start? Is it the same? I mean, do you start from the same template every time you're asked to do something or think about something? How can our audience begin to think about what they're being asked to do in a way that's really going to help them deliver the awesome? Yeah, I think, um, you know, when you are first starting out, sure, like there are tons of templates and things online. Um, but kind of going back to what I said earlier is, you have to really understand the scope of your project and ask a lot of questions up front to under to see like what things you need in your project plan. Um, you know, for me, I always make sure that I have clearly defined goals. Um, you know, the project team roles and responsibilities are outlined. Expectations are outlined and communicated. Um, you know, I've started to really dive into like, what does acceptance criteria look like? So when is this project complete and who's going to be the final person that signs off on it? When are we going to have review cycles? Um how are we communicating? Are we doing weekly touch points? Um, you know, we're just bouncing ideas back off of Slack, things like that. Um, and then sort of setting that standard and having a kickoff meeting and getting everybody to weigh in on that and sign off on it. And that is like, okay, well, we're just going to keep going back to the plan. Um, I think kind of beyond that too is just documentation. Documentation has been a game changer for me. And I like pretty much document everything, whether I share it with the whole team or not <laughs> is another story. But, um, you know, documenting how meeting meetings went, uh, project status, any roadblocks that I'm curious and like questions I have just constant. And then, you know, you have, um, 
a historic historic data on the on the project for future, right? So you can kind of figure out, um, you know, okay, well this this is what this is how this project went. I'm doing another one, so I can look back at my my documentation. Um, but it's also a nice like CYA if you know you go. Have, so there is some scope creep that comes and happens, and you can um, you know go back and say, well, this is actually how it happened, and this is um, you know what we all agreed on. Let's have a conversation about it. Um, but also um, communicating and following up with people after meetings uh, or before meetings uh, has found to be a really valuable uh, documentation piece for me. And it just kind of like helps people trust you and know that you're on top of it. I'm so interested in your experience vetting, vetting PM software. I've used really sophisticated software platforms and I've used very basic ones. Um, I love and hate things about both. What are your thoughts and, and what goes through your head when you're starting to look at a new tool? Oh, yeah. Um, I think it really, well, it depends on how, what, what, what do you need it for, right? Like there's, there's a lot of PM software out there and some of it is, you're right. It's like, you, you know, I'm have used Rike pretty extensively and there's a lot of things that you can do with Rike. And I'm sure I haven't even started to scratch the surface. Um, for this client that I worked with earlier this year, we, um, you know, there's, they're a small firm, there's like 20 employees. And really the goal was more task oriented rather than project. We need to come up with like a project template. Um, so we looked at uh, like Asana, ClickUp. Um, and I think ultimately yeah, it was between like Asana and ClickUp. And then we ended up going with Monday because it just was like so user-friendly and clean. Um, but some of these other other tools are, um, yeah, you can do a lot. So it really just depends like what it is you want to be doing with it. Um, you know, do you have criteria? Um, so one of the things was like being able to see a Gantt chart and seeing when people have availability so there's not time wasted. So, um, but I don't think that there's like a perfect uh, PM tool out there in general, but there's not one for instructional design. I don't think. Really. <laughs> <laughs> I totally agree with you on that. <laughs> nice. It'd be nice if, if somebody came up with something like that, but um, mm -hmm. yeah. yeah, I found um, a decent checklist can, can solve a lot of woes, but. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Checklist works great sometimes too. Or you don't even some fancy projects. You can have a task list and there's, you can still cross it off on, on Word or Google Docs and it feels just as good. <laughs> All right. Let's talk a little bit about scope creep, right? So I've started and all of a sudden somebody somewhere calls an audible or you have a really great meeting and, oh, I have a really awesome idea. Um, I mean, it's just a real part of what we do. And I'm not against having a really great idea and saying, hey, this is what we need to do. Let's all execute on it and have someone say, if we did this, it might be better. Like, I'm all for that. But it can really be detrimental as far as our ability to deliver excellent quality products in a timely manner, right? Like, you can scope creep things to death and then nothing gets done, right? So... How do you manage that? I think it's a real part of what we do. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I think 
scope creep ultimately we have to remember affects our learners our audience you know if we're not if we're dealing with a frustrated team um, we're over budget and we're like whatever i just need to get this out the door um or it becomes like this crazy thing i mean ultimately our learners suffer and that's um the thing that we always need to keep in mind that they are our number one um when that type of stuff happens to me um it really depends on the type of client but I think there's like a huge escalation piece to it. You know, if, if, if you are in like a sitting in more of a service type role and, you know, you have, you have a director, you, you know, your manager, a director above you. Um, and you start kind of see that like escalate often escalate early. I think it's important to call those out, uh, right away. Um, because I have certainly experienced where like things started, didn't feel, didn't feel right, but I'm going to keep going. Didn't feel right. And then next thing you know, it's like, you know, you're giving money back to a client and it sucks. But, um, I, uh, yeah, escalate early. Um, I, I always try to like, I think having those touch points and just communication, um, again, going back to like, how does this align with the business goal? Um, you know, can we get it done in this timeline? Like, let's continue to look at our project plan, look at our timeline. Um, if you are working with a specific budget, what will that take? somebody wants to do a video and you're, you know, working on, you were working on something else. It's like, do we have the resources to do it? So I think just asking a lot of questions and really getting to the bottom of it, because Scott, like you said, it could be a really great idea and it could, could make, make the learning solution better. Um, but it's definitely worth a conversation. And to that point, Emily, and I'm so glad this came up and Scott, it was a good question. A lot of project management, it's easy to see it as just like, creating processes, creating checklists, creating um, documentation. There's a very human side to it. And I, a lot of times I think about all the, the documentation and all the process. I see it as a way to facilitate conversations and protect relationships. Um, talk to us a little bit about your experience with managing those those pieces. Yeah, I think, you know, project management is half process, half people, right? Like, um, we're, uh, and I think as an instructional designer specifically too, you know, you're put on teams and you're like, you're not really the boss, right? Like you are to an extent, but there are other people that are making decisions. You're trying to work with, make everybody happy, work with all these different, um, groups to, to put something together. Um, and it certainly, you know, I approach it like I always meet try to meet people where they're at. Um, I know, especially working with subject matter experts, um, that is like, can be really tricky. And a lot of times they're absent and not available and, or can be difficult or not giving you what you need. So, you know, there's a, like a huge piece of emotional intelligence that plays into that and just being aware and being able to, uh, kind of sense where people are at in the project or if they're feeling like really burnt out or how, how can I best work with this person and save a relationship? And I love that you said that the process and the documentation serves as sort of like a talking point. And cause I, yeah, that, that absolutely. I love that. Um, so I always just try to approach uh, the people that I work with. Um, I meet them where they're at um, again, just, over communicate. Um, you know, if I'm, I'm proactive, I've worked with SMEs before that don't want, well, I don't want to say don't want, maybe they, there, maybe there are things going on and hit their world. They're unable to deliver what they're being asked to. And so I've taken a proactive approach of like, well, I'll just 
take my best stab at it and have you review it because that's it's much easier to review and provide feedback to somebody than it is to try to write something from scratch. Yeah. And I think it helps. To, I mean, I've been in so many conversations where the person I was talking to, I could say, look, I don't have time to do it. And they understood, but they're like, what do I go tell my boss? And I'm like, okay, take them this piece of documentation that explains how long this takes and why. And then it's not on you. And it's not, then they're not just coming to me going, what do you mean? You just don't have time. Like what else do you, like, you have to give people a way to say like, I get it and move on and sign off. Um, so yeah, I think, um, you really have to be thoughtful about how you're helping your partners. And sometimes, uh, you know, documentation is that the way you do that. What would you say to somebody who might be considering transitioning into a project manager role? Like, I know a lot of people in instructional design, when I talk to them, they're like, well, where do I go after being an instructional designer? And just because I've seen it happen so often, I often say, oh, well, you know, there's a lot of like, similarities were very adjacent to project managers but i mean like what does that transition look like is that something that you could you could speak to maybe okay (laughs) (laughs) um you know there's there's coursework i mean you could you could take the safe route and do some coursework and and learn it that way um, you know, if you are working in an organization and you have the opportunity to start taking on more project management related tasks without diving right into it um, to see if you even, you know, really like it, um, if that's like a, a specific niche that you want to get into, um, you know, certainly have those conversations with your uh, manager, supervisor, like how could I start learning more about it? Um, but I think also too, you know, there's, there's a lot of resources online of just about project management that, you know, you could probably start looking at and thinking, well, how, how can I just be proactive and start doing some of this on my own in my own work and seeing kind of how it goes. Um, you know, I, I personally like, I've, I've been in a fully project management role before and obviously like, you know, it's just part of my work now. Um, and I, I like project management, but do I want to do it like every day in and out, like as my direct role? Probably not. Um, I definitely like the variety of work and I, I feel like as a project manager, I mean, you really have to stay on top of everything and you, you know, it's hard to have a day where you're like, man, I just, I just don't feel like writing all, all these document documents, you know, you, it's, it's hard. So you really have to like, if that is the direction that you want to take, um, you know, just get that practical experience as, as much as you can to, before you just dive in and you're in over your head. Yeah. And Dan, I'm going to jump onto that too. I would say like, if you, if you have an instinct when something isn't going right to say, let me just reach out to so-and-so and see what's going on. If that's not your instinct, project management is probably not for you. <laughs> like, if you, and, and and if you're if you if you don't want to have to work with people, like to check in and build relationships and be constantly with them without having some authority in place, also probably not for you. <laughs> because yeah. project management generally, there's no authority. It's all, are you willing to talk to me and um, will you tell me what's going on, even though I have no way to influence this? Like, <laughs> there's very little. <laughs> Yeah, ability to influence. <laughs> well, it does beg a question. At some point in time, 
I have found in in just managing projects and working with several subject matter experts and things that have to be reviewed and signed off and sometimes multiple stakeholders that need to review and sign off, it can be really daunting, right? And sometimes through no fault of my own, projects slow and sometimes stop because of that process. How do you manage the um how you feel how do you do that without taking it personally because i know that that's something that i've struggled with right like, oh, this is falling behind what did i did did i do everything i could and i think the best pms that, that i work with are the ones that are like well we're waiting for this person and they're not giving it to me so every day that it's late we're gonna we're gonna push the project day a day and then having that kind of conversation, I, I guess for me, that's my approach. But Emily, what, what are you doing to be successful? Because I feel like that's really hard and no one talks about it. It is really hard. It's hard to take the emotional, I, I mean, the emotional thing out of a lot of work, right? Um, especially when you're influencing a project without really having much of a influence, right? So um, I think, you know, I would say I'm definitely not perfect at that. I tend to put emotion into my work and it is hard. It is challenging. And when you have to have tough conversations or this person's not doing it, like, how do you say that without like throwing someone under the bus or making someone feel, you know, it's like, well, um, so I would say that's definitely a work in progress, Scott. Um, I don't know <laughs> if I've completely figured it out, but going back to just communicating as much as possible and documenting um, has seemed to work for me so far. All right. So let's piggyback on some of that, right? So we're talking about um, influence without authority, right? Uh, something that we, I think we all have to work on and get better at. Like, what are some things that an, an instructional designer can do to influence perhaps better so they get better outcomes on their projects. You know, again, going back to that communications piece and kind of meeting people where they're at, um, you know, and staying on top of it when you're taking, when you're being proactive and, and taking the initiative to like set up meetings, facilitate meetings, provide um, cl a clear picture of where the project is. I think that that helps people understand uh, that their stuff is in good hands and that they can trust you. And it kind of eliminates that uh, like weird um, relationship undertone of like, well, what's going on this person? You're supposed to be doing that. I mean, it's very clear and set out. Um, so I think, yeah, just going back to really the communications piece, um, however that looks in, you know, your team or your organization. Um, and that's something that, you know, you can definitely talk about up front too. It's like, how are, what is your working style? How can we work best together? And just being really open and transparent about that sort of thing. Um, you know, I have found helpful to motivate teams and, you know, sharing praise when something is done or like, this is awesome. Like we're doing like really cool stuff. We're working together. Um, like it feels good. And I think that that, that can be a, a great, you know, motivator for teams as well. Yeah. <clears throat> I'm glad you didn't, uh, list nag them every day in, uh, in your influence. Cause I have experienced that and I don't find that very helpful. I mean, it, 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 it is what? a nice, no, 
it's a nice reminder of something that I already know, which is I, I know I have this due, but I'm waiting on something. So thank you for that. <laughs> Nothing worse than than getting that like, yes, I know, I know. Well, I, I will say on the scope or spectrum of you nagging me every day and you disappearing off the face of the planet, I will take the nagging 100%, but I don't think that either are necessarily effective. Um, which does bring out a really nice question uh, about postmortems, right? How often are you reviewing the project? What went well, what didn't go well, and what we can learn from that? Talk about postmortems and their importance in your business. I really wish that I could do more of them. I feel like that is something that is often overlooked and often missed. Um, you know, and a lot of clients that I work with, by the time the project's done, you know, the contract's over, I'm out the door and it's like, well, like that's it. Right. Like, um, you know, I have, I have done a few of them and I think they're really successful. It kind of is makes people a little vulnerable. Like they have to, let's talk about how the project went and what didn't go well. And, you know, I think that they're, they're super valuable. I think more people need to do them, but they're rarely baked into a timeline or like, it's like, all right, we're done. It's out the door, like on to the next. And I think the same thing can be said with a lot of like the, at the, at the beginning of a project too, is spending a lot of time really understanding, um, the need and, and the contents. You're just a lot of times just diving right in and trying to get something done in a really quick turnaround. Yeah. By the way, I use your D for done quote all the time. Now I use it all the time. <laughs> Deep or done. I think it's great. Um, I would challenge I anybody that's listening because I feel like Emily made a really good point. Like we all know it's important, but we don't take the time for it. Like bake that in, find a way to bake it in because it's the only way we learn and get better. Um, and it needs to be part of our standard operating platform. That's my preach for today. I'm proud of you for doing that as often as you can. I, for me, I think that's table stakes. Maybe even an expectation that we set at the very front. Like when we get done, um, we're going to take a look at our return on expectations, our ROE. We're going to see if we hit the mark and what we tried to do. And we're going to take time to learn and get better. Um, and I think that your subject matter experts and the, those people above them will really appreciate and value you more for doing that, regardless of how the project. That's just my humble opinion. I'm done preaching. Other questions for Emily? <laughs> <laughs> I, I have a question. Um, really good project managers. And I'm saying, I say this coming from, this is something I still am always trying to get better at. Um, a lot of the goal of project management, obviously, is to create some structure so that everybody knows what you're doing and how and when and where. Um, but those structures have to be flexible. So you're trying to build a tree, not a house of cards, right? So Because projects are inherently uh, dynamic almost always. I don't know anybody who works on projects that don't change midway through. Um, any tips on becoming good at that, getting better at creating project plans that are more accommodating to change? Yeah, that's, that's a great question. <laughs> <laughs> I'm still struggling with it. So no judgment. It's, it is a very tough thing to do to know how to build flexible project plans. Totally. Yeah. Um, you know, I don't know if I have a great answer for that either. Um, I would go back to the communications piece and, um, you know, making sure that like, if something is changing, how does that, how does it align go back to the, the, the original goal of the project? And, um, but yeah, that's, 
I don't know. I'd be interested in he- hearing uh, <laughs> a dance perspective on that because that's tough. <laughs> well, I'm glad to know I'm not the only one who struggles with that. I mean, and if there are folks listening out um, who are listening to this episode, let us know your tips on it because it is unbelievably difficult to create effective, flexible programs because I, I find that either you lose buy-in from your partners when you don't effectively flex or or you're hurting yourself, um, either making agreements you can't keep or, um, or compromising the value of what you're producing. So, um, yeah, I'm always curious if anybody has ideas. <laughs> love to know. So yes, anybody listening <laughs> our way. <laughs> In my defense, at the beginning of this, I did say this was not my strength. So, <laughs> <laughs> well, see, Emily's yeah. going to help you out. That's a great transition. Emily, where can people go to get better at this? Is, are there opportunities and, and um, avenues for them to get the resources that they need to get better? Definitely. Um, you know, you can certainly visit Google. Google is going to have a plethora of information. If you really are serious about it, uh, go take a PMP certification and, and take the exam. I mean, that is like the the number one way to learn about project management, at least according to PMI. And, (laughs) um, but as an instructional designer, yeah, that's debatable. Right. (laughs) Um, as an instructional designer, I would love to extend the um, invite to those thinking about either going back to school or taking a course to um, consider the course that I developed. Um, it'll be launching spring of 2023. Um, I think I'll be teaching it. Um, as far as I know, I'm teaching it. So I'm really excited about it. I had a lot of fun um, developing it. It's through the University of Denver. They're learning um, design and technology master's program. And, uh, yeah, my, uh, it, it, it'll be a really fun class, a lot of, a lot of work, but I think a lot of the students will leave with, um, templates and resources and a lot of good tidbits to, um, be able to apply right away in their profession. So yeah, we'll have the link to that in the show notes, everybody, but that's legit, right? So this isn't Emily put something up on Kajabi and wants you to pay her 50 bucks, like this legit stuff. And I think it's really awesome and you feel, should feel really proud of that. Uh, and it's not, um, it's not unreasonable. I mean, what you're asking people to pay in um, to get the knowledge and the tools and the templates that they need to do a better job um, is certainly something that they could easily ask um, their supervisor for. And the chances of getting yes to, to that amount of money, I think, is pretty high. So congratulations on that. That's awesome. As we wrap anything up, uh, is there anything else that you would love to chat with our audience about that you haven't had a chance to say this today? I feel like we covered a lot. Um, if anybody ever wants to reach out and nerd out on project management, I'm available on LinkedIn. I love to talk shop and there's always stuff to be learned from others as well. So thank you for the time. This was awesome. Well, well thank you. <laughs> I would encourage, even if you don't want to be a project manager, think about taking courses, especially courses like Emily's that are such a good value. You will work with a project manager at some point in your life. It behooves you to understand how those processes work and become a really good partner. So, Emily, could you share with our audience ways they could connect with you? 
Yeah, absolutely. So you can connect with me through LinkedIn. Um, it's just Emily May is my LinkedIn profile. Um, or you can shoot me an email at Emily at EmilyMayConsulting.com. Fantastic. Thanks so much. We love to have you back. We'll have you back again. Love that you're a friend of the show. You always bring great stuff. This is great stuff, folks. So go check her out and take her course if you need some help. I highly, highly, highly recommend it. Danielson. Yes, Scott. Could you do me a favor and let our audience know how they could better connect with us? No, I don't feel like it. No, of course I can. All right, party people. If you haven't already, hit us up at learningnerdscast at gmail.com. Email us any questions you may have. Join in on the conversation. Ask us how you can maybe sign up for a course that Emily's putting out because I know I probably will be right after this. If you're on Facebook, you can find us at Learning Nerds. And finally, for all of our Instagram peeps, Fab Learning Nerds. Scott, back to you. Thanks, Dan. Hey, everybody, do me a favor. Hit subscribe. Share this podcast with your friends. Do me a favor. Please, please, please. If you're listening to this on iTunes or Stitcher or anywhere else, you can leave a review. Leave a review. Let us know how we're doing. It'll help us get more of what we're talking about to more people. And with that, I'm Scott. I'm Dan. I'm Abby. And I'm Emily. And we're your fabulous learning nerds. And we are out. Thanks for listening to the Fabulous Learning Nerds. You know, there are a lot of solutions out there for giving students what they need when they need it. But when do they actually do all those things? You need flexible time. When added into your master schedule, flex time enables students to get extra help or intervention, meet with teachers, make up work, get physical exercise, and try new enrichment of offerings. If you're, if you're thinking of giving it a try, if you're thinking of giving it a try, check out MyFlex Learning, which unlocks the benefits of flex time without the common challenges. Its intuitive design and SIS integration makes implementation and training a breeze. Make your flex time work for you. Visit MyFlexLearning.com BE to learn more and receive $500 off your first year. That's MyFlexLearning.com BE.